Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Uh, I'm excited uh, for the series that we are starting uh, today. We're starting a new series called Shoes. Uh, but before we hop into this series, I gotta tell you something. Not only am I excited about this series, I'm excited about the series we're gonna do after this, all right? Uh, we are doing a series called You Asked For It. We did it last year, we we're gonna do it again. Uh, and I wish I could tell you what I'm gonna be talking about, but I don't know. I do not know what we're gonna be talking about because uh, during our You Asked For It series, uh, we're gonna answer your questions on stage. So uh, I don't know what we're gonna talk about. So this is the part where I'm gonna need a little bit of help, okay? For the next five weeks, I want you guys to submit your questions, all right? Submit your questions, uh, anything and everything. We're gonna be collecting uh, questions for the next five weeks. You go to refuge.fun, all right, there in the corner, it's there. Uh, you'll see that little you asked for it question submission. Uh, anything and everything, if you wanna put your name on there, you can. If you don't, you don't have to put on that. You wanna put somebody else's name on there too, that might actually be kind of funny. All right, but hey, for the next five weeks, any questions you got uh, about church, Jesus, Christianity, all right, uh, Dad, how do I do whatever, right? Stuff that you might ask Google, all right? Just throw it on there and we'll try to answer it, okay? Nothing is off limits. We want to answer the questions that you have uh, on stage. So you got five weeks of asking questions. That starts today. Uh, also today, we're kicking off this new series called Shoes. And so before we jump into this new series, uh, let's get our hearts ready to open up God's word and see what he would have for us today. All right, so let's, let's invite God in. Let's put our hands out, uh, palms up. Uh, just close our eyes. Uh, a posture of surrender. Take a deep breath. And remember that God is just as near as the air that you're breathing. Uh, God, give us tender hearts uh, to hear your word this morning. Help us to put away the frustrations of this past week and the distractions from the coming week. Help us to fully focus on you. We come empty uh, with nothing to offer but surrender. Uh, and God, we ask that you would fill us out this morning as only you can. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, like I said, today we're starting a new series called Shoes, right? Changing our views by trying on shoes, all right? It even rhymes. It's pretty good. Hey, for the next five weeks, we're going to be here. We're going to be looking at people that Jesus had interacted with. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna put on their shoes to see how they view the world and specifically how their interaction with Jesus uh, changed the way that they live. Uh, they say, help me out here, you can't understand someone unless you've walked a mile in there. Yeah, you got it. So hey, what we're gonna do is each week we're gonna put on shoes that reflect the person we're gonna look at, all right? They're gonna imperfectly all right, reflect them, all right, because we're going to look at 21st century shoes, all right, and this is not a 21st century people are going to do, but we're going to look at their shoes. And today, uh, we are going to be, or I should say, I am going to be sporting uh, some shoes that I find to be fantastic, all right, uh, these sweet penny loafers, all right. Uh, I, I told Kelsey I might have to just wear these normally because they're so stylish, um, she did not agree with me when I said that, all right? Uh, what's cool about shoes is uh, when you see someone's shoes, it says a little bit about them, right? You can pick up some things uh, about that person uh, when you see them in their shoes. <laughs> Cousin Eddie. 
All right, so hey, new boot goofing, all right. I'm gonna rock these penny loafers, all right, for the next 25 to 30 minutes or so, okay? Uh, but here's the deal, you see someone's shoes and you actually get to see a little bit about them. Now, you maybe might pick up some things about them. Uh, so you see work boots, you think like hard, manual, physical labor, right? Uh, you see some stilettos, you might think cocktail party, right? And I don't know about you, but when I see a pair of penny loafers, uh, I'm probably going to associate them uh, with someone who's maybe a little bit older, all right? I'm sure there are exceptions to this, all right? But I don't see many sub-50 men rocking the penny loafers, at least not in the circles that I run in. Maybe they're, maybe they're there, okay? Hey, uh, but here's the deal. Uh, penny loafers are nicer. Uh, they're usually uh, leather. You might associate them with someone who has had some level of success uh, financially. Uh, if there's a ditch needing to be dug, the guy wearing penny loafers is not the one digging it. He's the one collecting the bill for the guys digging it. You guys get what I'm saying here? Uh, the penny loafers is a little higher up on the org chart. Not necessarily the person getting their hands dirty, uh, but the person who uh, is paying the people who are getting their hands dirty. Again, I'm painting with a broad brush here. There's going to be exceptions. Uh, but I think the penny loafer is a good shoe for the person we're going to focus on today. All right? he's, he's wealthy. Uh, he's influential. He's definitely established. And I think that kind of fits the penny loafer. So we're going to walk in his shoes today. Today we're going to look at Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, the word Pharisee in the Aramaic, uh, it means to, to, separate, to separate, to divide, or to distinguish, right? I think of it kind of like the word holy, right? Holy means to be set apart, right? There's nothing wrong with being set apart, but unfortunately, uh, being holy or being set apart can have a negative connotation too in our culture, right? You've got the holy rollers, the people who think that they're better than everyone else because of their set apartness, Right? And so this holiness is a good thing, but sometimes it's associated with people thinking they're better than others. The word Pharisee started with the same thing. It has a good intention right, of living a life separate from sin and the ways of the world or to be distinguished. But over time, uh, what happens is you get people who aren't just separated from the world. They're actually separated from reality. They're so far away from people they can no longer connect to others. There were actually some uh, Pharisees, they kept themselves apart from uh, Hellenistic thinkers and uneducated people, uh, uneducated commoners. Uh, they, it actually, they were willing to take up arms uh, in belief and defense of their beliefs. They thought that being set apart and distinct in such a way, it was so important to them, they thought it was okay to physically battle to keep their distance from people. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Right, and I might call him Nico a few times. I, I've seen the chosen, right? They call him Nico. We're just going to go with the short abbreviated. Nico was a Pharisee. He's someone who lived a distinguished life by the things that he would do or maybe the things that he would not do. Uh, Nico was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a group of priests or religious teachers who would decide legal matters, right? So uh, whether those legal matters had religious, political, or social ramifications, they would go to the Sanhedrin. Uh, so think what happens when you cross a priest and a lawyer, right? You get the Sanhedrin, right? That's kind of where we're at here. So Nico was a Pharisee, and he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a well-thought-of leader. He's connected to the right people and set apart from the wrong people. If Nicodemus was walking around today, I think some penny loafers would be a good fit for him. 
And we see three places where Jesus and Nico's paths, they cross. What we're gonna do is we're gonna start with the first interaction that he has with Jesus. But before we go there, right, it starts in, in John 3, the verses right before, is, right before are very important because they give us the context. All right, so in John 2, we're gonna see this at the very end. Because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. People began to trust in Jesus. Verse 24, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. These people, uh, they, they, that Jesus is there, he's doing miracles. These people don't have faith in Jesus. Uh, what Jesus is trying to say is they have faith in what he's done. They have faith in these miracles. So they have a faith, but it is not a saving faith. It is a faith in the miracles Jesus has done, but it is not in Jesus as the Messiah. You track with me? So it's not that he's, these people have faith in Jesus. They have faith in what Jesus can do for them, and that's a difference. It's a faith, but it's not a saving faith. It reminds me of uh, James uh, chapter 2. It says this. You say you have faith, you believe there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So these crowds, they believe in the miracles of Jesus, but they don't believe that Jesus is their savior. Even the demons believe that there's a God. And so this is the context of what we're getting into when we get to Nicodemus' story in John chapter three. I think it's very important because those verses are right before he meets Nicodemus. There's people who believe, but they aren't believing the right thing. They believe in what Jesus can do for them, but they're not believing in Jesus. All right, so let's hop back to John 3 and read these first two verses here. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So the fact that Nicodemus comes at, at night has some significance. Every time we see a Pharisee come to Jesus, uh, they come at night. They're trying to get him to say something that they can use against him. They're trying to make a case against him. And so there is an element with Nicodemus that he is facing some uncertainty with who Jesus is. So it comes at night. So uh, it's dark. You can't see him well. He's not, you're not going to be as certain about your movements. There's some significance there, too. He's coming at night. Questions. And he's got questions that he doesn't want anybody else to see. So it comes at night. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus as night. He comes as uh, a Pharisee, right? He comes as a part of the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus, he has some masks that he's going to hide behind. Have you ever done that? Have you ever hidden behind a job title, uh, hidden behind a position, hidden behind a mask? Uh, I think here's what, it, here's what it might look like uh, for us in our everyday lives. You're in the hallway uh, at the office, and someone asks, hey, how's it going? And you say, great, business is good. Uh, you go out with some friends that same day, maybe have lunch with some friends, and they ask, hey, how's life? And you say, it's going so well, so well. Uh, but then you get home and your, your spouse asks, how's it going? And you're like, it's been awful. Work has been terrible, I don't know how to fix this, I feel stuck, I don't know what's going on. 
See, when you were at the office, you were wearing a mask. How's it going? Business is great. Uh, you were being who the people around you thought you needed to be. When you went out with the friends, you were telling them, hey, uh, I think they don't want to talk about my problems, so I'm just going to say, hey, life's going so well. It's going so good. But when you get home, when you're with your spouse, for the first time, you are actually you. You say what's on your mind. How are things going? You're not wearing any mask. You're not trying to be someone else or saying something that they want to hear. You were you. No mask. Completely real, completely vulnerable. And that's how God wants us to approach him. Not with any mask or trying to act like we've got it all together. He wants us to come as we are. Not who we think he wants us to be. So as Nicodemus approaches Jesus, he comes wearing the mask of being a Pharisee and being a, the mask of being a part of the Sanhedrin. And here's what he says to Jesus. Remember, we just read, you could have faith in what he's done, but not faith in Jesus, the man, as the Messiah. Rabbi, rabbi means teacher, Nicodemus said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Remember, Jesus just said he knew what some people saw. So there could be people who believed in his miracles but not believing in Jesus as the Savior. And I love this part because Nicodemus, he doesn't ask a question, right? He just, that's a statement. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And here's how Jesus responds to that. Verse three, there we go. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, what? <laughs> I didn't ask a question about this, right? Remember, Jesus knew what was on Nicodemus' heart, and Jesus responds to Nico's heart, not to his statement. Nicodemus wants to learn about the kingdom of God. That's why he's there. And he says this in verse 4, Nicodemus does. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus is our penny loafer wearing, well-established, smart, respected man. He is not used to being the one asking questions. He's used to being the one with people gathering around him, and he answers their questions. But now that he's with Jesus, Nicodemus is the one who's asking questions. He's like, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Right, he's a Pharisee. Pharisees uh, took the law so seriously and, and very literally. So when he hears Jesus talking about being born again, he does not understand it. And he asks a question, and it takes some humility to admit that you don't understand. Right? It takes some humility to ask a question or to ask for, for guidance. And when Nicodemus asks this, it's as if he takes this mask off of being this Pharisee, someone who's well-versed in the law and the kingdom of God. When he asks this question, it's like he takes that mask of being a Pharisee off. He's like, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? And then Jesus, he, he answers Nicodemus' question. The, the question he actually asks out loud. I'm going to read these next few verses here. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must 
be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus is explaining uh, salvation to Nicodemus. He's telling him how, hey, yes, you were born a physical birth, but what needs to happen is you need to be born into the new family of Jesus. You need to be into this adopted family and be a part of God's family. And that is a work of the Spirit. Humanly, you cannot do that. But through the Spirit, you can. And and here's how Nicodemus responds. How are these things possible? Jesus answers his first question, and it's like Nicodemus is even more confused. Like, the first time he was, like, asking specifics, like, how does an old man go back into his mother's womb? Like, I don't get how this is going to go down. And this time he's like, I don't even get it. Like, how, how is any of this even possible? He doesn't pretend like he understands Jesus. He follows up his question with another one because he doesn't get it. And it's like all these questions that he asks Jesus, every time he asks, it's like he's removing this mask, saying, God, I need help. I don't, I don't get it. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's making Nico just be himself. Not who others think he should be, but who he truly is. Nicodemus doesn't need to be a Pharisee who is set apart and knows every letter of the law. He doesn't need to be a member of the Sanhedrin who's well-respected and has all the answers and the wisdom. Jesus is actually working on him and he's getting him to remove those masks he was hiding behind. He wants him to be real. So Jesus gets to the meat of his message, uh, these next few verses here. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus, again, he he humbles Nico. He's like, you are a well-respected Jewish teacher and you don't even understand. If you can't get the things of this earth, how can I tell you about the things of heaven? Jesus tells him about how the Son of Man has come down from heaven, how the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He's setting the stage here for uh, verse 16. And John three sixteen is probably one of the most well-known Bible verses of all time. Say that part in yellow with me. For this is how God, the world, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How did God love the world? He gave his son so that everyone who believes 
Not that they believe in his son's miracles, but who believes in Jesus' son will have eternal life. Jesus is trying to make it more clear for Nicodemus. He's like, Jesus is the way. I am the way. He continues. Say that part in yellow out loud with me. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He's saying, Jesus is here to save the world. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him, Jesus, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And that judgment is based on the fact God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus just lays it all out there for Nicodemus. This is what salvation is. Those who believe in me, I'm the light of the world. I think there's two takeaways we can get from this interaction from from Nicodemus, from his perspective. Uh, The the first thing is you have to take off any masks that you are wearing. You have to take off the mask that you're wearing. And the second one is you need to come to the light. You have to come to the light. You gotta take off the mask. Some people might call a mask that we wear, we might call that a false self. It's who others, uh, we think others want us to be or who maybe others need us to be. And I think the most dangerous mask we wear is the one we think we have to wear to please God. There are so many people uh, who think they have to get cleaned up before they can come to God. Uh, It's a pressure to look the part before you are the part. I think, just to be real, there are thousands of people today gathering in various churches acting like they've got it all together, acting like they don't have any problems, pretending like uh, life could not be going any better than it currently is. And they're doing that not because life is going great. Actually, they're down in the dumps. They're doing that because they think that's how church people are supposed to act. And God doesn't want you to come like you've got it all together. He doesn't want you to come and get it all together and then come to him. He doesn't want you cleaned up and then he's saying, hey, now you're clean, now you can come to me. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, I'm gonna date myself here a little bit about my redneck heritage, but as Larry the Cable Guy wisely said, it's like wiping before you poop. It don't make sense, okay? God does not want you to get cleaned up and then come to him. He wants you to come to him. No mask, no filter, no caveats, just come to him. And here's what's amazing, as you spend time with him, God will work through you and God will change your life. Do you know why God doesn't want you to get cleaned up and to then come to him? It's because without him, you'd never get there. We would always be dirty. Uh, when I was in college, I, I cleaned windows. And the solution that we used to like clean windows with, it had like this degreaser in it. 
And so it would dry out your hands pretty, pretty bad. And I'd get these big cracks, and then like I'm just getting dirt and mud, like just nasty bird poop, like just all this nasty stuff gets in your hands. Uh, and you get these big black lines, like cracks in my hands. Uh, like, like you'd imagine a mechanic's hands to me. You guys know what I'm talking about, you got grease in there. And uh, I remember one night, Kelsey and I had a date night, and I'm like trying to like make my hands not look like they're disgusting. So I'm like scrubbing, like I've got every loofah, pumice, soap, essential oils even, any, any combination, but like, you know I'm desperate when I'm finding essential oils, all right? But anyways, anything I could find to try to get my hands to make them look, look clean. I could not ever get them clean. Even when they were like clean and sanitized, they looked nasty. There's only one way to get my hands clean, just to stop getting them dirty. I need to not work for my hands to eventually look normal. To stop getting them dirty, eventually they'd be clean. Church, the only way for us to get clean is to turn to Jesus. We have to come to the light. To, dr- to try and get clean and then go to the light, it doesn't work. Because it's only the light of Jesus that will change us. And only in the light can we be cleaned up. And it's not us doing the cleaning. It's the work of God in us, making us more like Jesus. Let's hop back to verse 17 here. God sent his son not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God didn't send Jesus so that we could be looked down on or judged by him. He sent Jesus so he could save us. God sent Jesus so we would have a way because without Jesus, we would never be clean enough. We'd never get our stuff together in a way where we could have that relationship with God. We can't do it without him. We have to take the masks off. After stop being that false self who the people around us think we need to be. It's gotta be ourselves. That's dirty, that's messy. We have to come to the light. So Nicodemus' first encounter with Jesus was the longest. And uh, the last we hear of Nicodemus right here is the question, how is this possible? And if we were to just base everything on Nicodemus off that one conversation alone, uh, we wouldn't know if he kept those masks off. Oftentimes what we do is we take them down and then things get stressful. We use them like a coping mechanism. We put them back up. Based off that one conversation, we don't know if he turned to the light, if he decided to follow Jesus. Thankfully, uh, we see Nicodemus two more times in John. And although we don't see explicit words of uh, Nicodemus saying, I've decided to follow Jesus, I think the fruit of his actions would seem to point to him having a personal encounter with Jesus. The next time we see Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisees sent some temple guards uh, to bring Jesus to them. Uh, they're trying to bring Jesus in. They're trying to kind of try him unjustly, trying to arrest him. Uh, but the temple guards, uh, they return to the Pharisees without Jesus. And then they ask, uh, the Pharisees ask, why haven't you brought us Jesus? And the temple guards are like, we've never heard anyone speak like this. Uh, and the Pharisees, that they mock the guards that were supposed to arrest him. They're like, you've been led astray. And it's right then that Nicodemus, he, he interjects. Uh, he, he says this and. John 7, verses 51 and 52. Is is it legal to convict a man before he is giving a hearing? Nicodemus asked. They replied, are you from Galilee? 
Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. He's trying to say, hey, this is what Jesus has done. You can't do this. This is not the right way. This is not the way we do things. Like, uh, he's trying to advocate for Jesus, saying, if you're going to convict this man, you should at least go about doing it the right way. Uh, to put it in a, some language that we would understand, uh, he's saying, hey, he's innocent until proven guilty. And to us, that sounds like Nicodemus just simply trying to obey the rules. But Nicodemus speaking up and coming to the defense of Jesus when everyone else in the room is eager to see Jesus' demise, that's a big deal. He's sticking up for him. Uh, the last time we hear from Nicodemus uh, is right after Jesus has died. In John 19, verse 30, that's where Jesus says, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, and he, and he died. The very next paragraph is talking about the burial of Jesus, and that's where we see him. Afterward, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, uh, why was he a secret disciple? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Uh, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to see Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Jesus has died, and they are uh, preparing his body to be buried, to be put away. Did you notice that it said Nico brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe? Uh, according to Jewish literature, uh, the amount typically used for a burial was about five pounds. Uh, 75 pounds would be something uh, fit for royalty. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they're giving Jesus a royal burial. And, and in bringing those ointments, it shows uh, two things. Uh, first thing is, Nico's got deep pockets, right? He ain't just one of the penny loafers for nothing. He's got some money. Uh, some people estimate that that would be worth uh, upwards of maybe $100,000 of the 75 pounds. He's got some deep pockets. And the second thing is, he valued Jesus. He doesn't just say he valued Jesus. He shows he values Jesus by giving him a royal burial. He's honoring God the best way he can in that moment. Nicodemus, when he first meets Jesus at night, there's some uncertainty he's experienced. Who, who is Jesus? The last we see of Nicodemus is he's extravagantly preparing Jesus' body for burial. And he's doing so uh, in the day when everybody would see him doing it. He's no longer hiding it under the darkness. He has come in the light. Nicodemus was changed after he encountered God. We don't know exactly when that happened. Could have been after he heard Jesus that first time. We don't know what his response was. It's not recorded. Uh, could have been when he found out the Pharisees were trying to capture him, when he stood up for Jesus saying, hey, he needs to be tried. Uh, the timeline is not important. The fact of the matter is Jesus changed Nicodemus. Nico encountered God and it changed his life. He took off the masks he was wearing and he turned to the light. He turned to Jesus. My question for you this morning is what masks do you need to take off? 
What mask do you need to take off this morning? What areas of your life do you need to turn to the light? To quit trying to fixing it, to quit trying to fix it by yourself and to turn to God. There's always some fear when you take off a mask, some apprehension. Well, will I be accepted? Jesus didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. Don't worry about him accepting you. He already has. He just wants you. No mask at all. He just wants you. And when you turn to the light, when you turn to Jesus, here's the best part. He won't turn away from you. He'll be right there ready to receive you. Always. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. Let's pray.